this week on the Divided Opinion Podcast. Right, yeah, so today, if you didn't know, we're going to be talking about the Premier League fixtures this week. We've got a whole load of games to get into. I thought that was ridiculous as well. I mean, a slight hand over the top of the head from Pogba. It's, you're just challenging for a ball. I didn't think the Burnley defender was going to get there anyway. He's always looking for a way to make himself the centre of the of the attention on the on the on the pitch. That's just my thoughts on him. I've I've never liked the bloke. <laughs> I just think these thick little things, bro, like, they're just what football's about, in my opinion. Like, I think it's what the game's about, these little quirks, and football is not objective. Harry Maguire, I know he's come under a lot of criticism, and I'm just interested to see how you're going to try and back him up today. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to season two, episode 21 of the Divided Opinion podcast. My name is Joel and as always, Westy joins me in the Divided Opinion studio. How are we, West? All good? Really good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. You feeling chipper? You feeling awake on this Friday morning? Yeah, feeling very awake. A lot of football to get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoying the Premier League being back? Well, yeah, for, for the most part. With United being back, not so much, but yeah, within reason, within yeah. reason. I think I've been looking forward to it coming back for a long, long time, and it gives us something to talk about. Uh, but I think we felt like we were kind of clutching at straws a bit last week, weren't we, with the the topics? But definitely, right, yeah. yeah. So today, if you didn't know, we're going to be talking about the Premier League fixtures this week. We've got a whole load of games to get into. We've got Newcastle, Everton, Burnley drawing with United, West Ham beating Watford, Aston Villa. Uh, a stunning free all draw with Leeds. Tottenham 2-3 two, two against Southampton. Comeback victory for Southampton. Yeah, sorry, 2-3 didn't sound right, did it? But we're going to run with it. Manchester City 2-0 at home to Brentford. Norwich 1-1 against Palace. Wolves 1-0 against Arsenal, but it was 0-1. Just, it doesn't sound right, but we're going to run with it again. And Liverpool-Leicester 2-0 last night to Liverpool. I think we're probably best to start with the first game of the week, or one of the first games of the week. We'll go with Newcastle versus Everton. 3-1 to Newcastle at home to Everton. It was a big game for a lot of reasons. It was Lampard's first game in charge in the Premier League. Eddie Howe, kind of his... I was going to say his first game with some of his new signings, but we I think we only saw Target and Trippier, the new signings, starting. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes was on the bench. Dan Byrne, I think, had a came with an injury from Brian so he was on the bench I don't know if I'm missing anyone I think we'll start off with Newcastle and what they did well I don't know if you watched the game but from what I saw Newcastle seemed to be all pushing in one direction or pulling in one direction and I think that is something that we haven't seen in a Newcastle team for a long time there seems to be a real ethos and a a method that Eddie Howe's employed there in Newcastle are you seeing some positives and Finally, some positives for the Magpies faithful. Definitely. Um, as you said, it looks like they're all pushing in the, in the same direction. I mean, for so many years, 
I mean, when was the last sort of good Newcastle team we watched? Was probably the sort of Alan Pardew days with Denver Bar and Cissé, and that yeah. seems so long ago now. But I mean, the start of the season, it was just a, it was just there weren't there was no cohesion. The I mean, defense was all over the place. The amount of goals they were conceding, and I think it took How a little bit of time to come in and implement his ideas because of course it's going to take time when you come into a team so low on confidence but watching them the other night there was seems to be a real structure about their play um defensively looks so much more sound and they just all seem to be like you say playing off the same hymn sheet really and yeah and it seems like it's it's only going to get better up there as well with the new signings yeah, I mean, I really like the Trippier signing. Um, and uh, you know my thoughts on the Target signing as well. And you just saw that there was just balance to the team. And I think two fullbacks, they really can offer that. I think gone are the days where we see fullbacks as this kind of position where no one wants to play it and they, they, they don't influence the, the rest of the team. They're massive. That Trippier free kick as well. I mean, he's going to be, I think, kind of the, the lead, the, the kind of revolution under Eddie Howe. I mean, I'm struggling to see Newcastle going down now. It's looking pretty bleak for the three teams in the relegation zone, but we'll get to them uh, later on. Um, obviously, Sam Maximan was just unplayable, caused absolute nightmares for Seamus Coleman at right back. I think we've spoke about Seamus Coleman before, so we won't dwell on that, but he did not look on an even keel to Sam Maximan. Nowhere near. I was impressed, though, in midfield as well with Newcastle. Uh, I think they played, was it Willock, Joel Linton and Shelby, which on paper you'd think it's not that defensive. It's probably not that well balanced. And I mean, Joel Linton surprised all of us this season, but there was bite in the midfield. And this is without Bruno Gomerez. And I think this is what you see with these signings that come in. It's it's obviously amazing bringing in these players and Bruno Gomerez, I'm sure he's going to be a brilliant talent, but it's also what he does to the other players in the team. The likes of Willock. Willock's grown up in the likes of Arsenal academies where it's just competition everywhere. And that pushes you on. And he hasn't really had that at Newcastle. He's got Bruno Cromeras coming in. And I think someone like Willock will definitely have his, his sights set on being a massive part of this Newcastle team. And I, I think he will be. But I was impressed. No, I think Newcastle, it's just, I think it's just so nice, isn't it, to see St. James's Park. In, in full voice and enjoying their football. I don't know if you saw that awkward handshake with um, Amanda Staveley. Oh, I wish I hadn't. <laughs> There's nothing worse, is there? There is oh, absolutely nothing worse. Cringeworthy. <laughs> um, we'll move on to Everton now, unless there was anything else you wanted to say about Newcastle. No, echo everything no. you say, mate. We'll move on to Everton because I think there was kind of more bones to pick um, from Everton's performance. It, it's looking it's looking bleak for Lampard. I think it'd be fair to say, and I think it really was kind of brought home the the task he's got at hand there and what he's going to have to achieve to get this team to achieve and to get these players back playing with confidence. And I don't know if you saw Van der Beek play. He uh, he came on in the second half, yeah. and I, it was kind of a. If you even if you didn't watch it, you can kind of imagine what it how he played. I mean, I was I was surprised because he came on in more of like a deeper role. He was dropping in, and he dictated play. To be fair to him, and he looks he looked composed on the ball, and I was impressed with him. Deli Ali, I felt sorry for because Damari Gray got injured. I think around twenty minutes in, 
and Deli Ali was called straight on, and you could tell the guy wasn't match fit. He wasn't ready for that for the atmosphere, for the intensity of the game, because it was a really intense game. Do you think we we'd be unfair to be judging Ali on that performance? Yeah, I think you've got to give any player time to bed in at a club and get a feel of the surroundings and sort of get a feel of their, their own teammates as well. On Everton, it's it's a difficult one. It's they've sort of inherited this this habit of being frail, haven't they? And like we've always given teams like Arsenal and Spurs that sort of nickname and tag for for being sort of weak and no no real backbone. And that's I think one of Lampard's main 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 issues to fix at Everton is their fragility and the mindset because once they go goal down or go behind in the game and the tide turns and things are going against them you often see them crumble and it's I think Tuesday night was another prime example of that Yeah I, I think as well the injury situation I mean Rafa Benitez spent his whole uh, tenure at Everton kind of protesting about the impact that injuries had had on him and I don't think any of us really gave him the time of day because there was it seemed to be like there was a a few core injuries, key injuries that that were out, but there seemed to be other teams that had worse. But you saw Mina going off, and Yerry Mina. I mean, I never really understand understood the the hype around Yerry Mina, but you can see that he is that senior figure in the Everton back line. And aside from him, when he went off, that kind of seniority was was just not to be. It wasn't wasn't to be seen, and I think. I think Mason Holgate was playing. I don't rate Mason Holgate. That Jared Bramthwaite came on for Yerry Mina, and he's obviously not a senior figure. He's a young player. Michael Keane, I wasn't too impressed with. and It doesn't look great for Everton. Um, they are, I, f- I fear they are going to get pulled into a rele- relegation scrap if they're not in one already. Well, I'll get your thoughts on that. Are Everton in a relegation scrap, scrap now? Is it official? Yeah, well, two points off, off 18th mm. place. I mean, you can only say they are. Yeah, I think they've got a game in hand, but I mean, a game in hand means nothing, does it, at the minute? Because no. just you can't see a win coming. I think a rare glim- a rare glimmer of hope for for Everton fans was Anthony Gordon. Um, I don't know if you've seen much of this this player, but yeah, I, well, I know you you know of him. He'll be on your radar, but he played excellently. He looks like a real a talented player. He had a kind of a free role really, and I, I, it's hard to see where his best position is because I've seen him played off the right. Seen him play in the centre mid role. Seen him play in an attacking mid position. I don't know if you want to add anything on him. No, no, he's he's really sort of coming to his own this season, and um, I'd probably say in terms of speaking, I'm not an Everton fan, but I'd, I think probably speaking from an Everton fan's perspective, so to speak, if it was anyone that was probably going to get a free pass this season in terms of criticism and from the fans and uh, and the crowd it, it would probably be Anthony Gordon because often times mm. this season when I've seen Everton uh, lose games which has been quite regularly and play badly he's always sort of been the shining light and still chipping in with his goals and doing his fair share of his job so yeah I, I think yeah. he's got a really bright future and it's and it's always good when he's when it's a homegrown talent as well coming through the academy we often do see don't you where you have these struggling teams and you often get a young player that kind of profits from the the lack of, say, competition around him or the opportunities gifted to him because players around him aren't playing that well. And I think Gordon could be another example of that. It's funny, isn't it? Because you often see that 
the places what you imagine would be the the least kind of fruitful in terms of developing a player and the, they look like it looks like a because Everton at the minute it looks like a, a they're in a pretty dire state at the minute but you the, often this can be the perfect place for, for for young players to grow and I think it's a player to keep an eye on Anthony Gordon I think he, he looks really promising we'll move on now to West Ham versus Watford now I think the big controversy here was obviously David Moyes' decision to play Kurt Zuma after all this controversy that's come out. I'm sure you guys have seen it. Do you think Moyes was, was wrong to start Zuma? It looks to have... As it's, yeah. It seems to have come back to bite him in terms of the commercial side of things and people. And I, from my personal point of view, he should have just taken him out of the firing line. I mean, I'm not saying we should... He shouldn't lose his career over this Zuma. It's horrendous and he, he deserves all the kind of punishment he's getting or the... The condemn the condemnation that he's getting, but he shouldn't have played him, should he? He should have just no. kind of let it cool down. Yeah, I mean, I think you understand he's been been fined two weeks' wages by the club. In that case, he probably should have just been t- taken out of the team for two weeks, maybe two or three match days. Yeah, that'd be. And uh, I think it was a strange one, especially. I mean, obviously, no game in the Premier League's a an easy game, and everyone down there, sort of Watford, come into West Ham, they're fighting for their lives in the league. But it was certainly a game where I feel that West Ham maybe could have gotten away with playing a, a weak side at the back anyway. I mean, mm. and I think that sort of stuff's irrelevant anyway, whether it's going to hamper your chances of picking up points in the, in a certain game. Just read the room, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're West yeah. Ham and, and just, just, yeah, two or three games and then just allow someone else to come in and just take the do what just take the spotlight off off yourself not more than Zuma because Zuma deserves a spotlight on him at the moment and all the yeah. sort of stuff he's getting thrown at him I mean it's all it's all off his own back and he deserves everything he gets but I think for David Moyes to play him it's sort of it's sort of shifted the problem onto David Moyes more than Zuma really well though I think that's a very good point and I think it well it shifts it onto West Ham as well it, it now associates I know they were associated with Zuma obviously but by making the decision to to start him, you're almost standing by him, aren't you? And yeah. I've gotten, yeah, I think yeah, we'll move on to the football side of things anyway. And it did prove to be a, a good decision from a footballing aspect to play Zuma. Obviously, they got a clean sheet against Watford. From what I've seen, it was a relatively, relatively uneventful game. West Ham getting a lucky deflection to see them through. I think the the main thing to look at here, though, is... West Ham playing not so well, but winning games, which it's a very good knack to develop. And I want to know your thoughts. Are West Ham seriously in with a shout of top four? I certainly think they are, yeah. I Obviously, I don't think they're favourites out of everyone in there. But when you consider they're sitting in fourth spot at the moment, I know teams around them have got games in hand. But the way the league's going at the moment and the way teams sort of united... Uh, Spurs and Arsenal I mean Arsenal picked up the three points last night so hats off to them but it seems like all the other teams are doing everything they can to throw this position away and the chance I mean mm. United go to Burnley draw Spurs have a chance to capitalise on that lose to Southampton Arsenal have capitalised on it but I think West Ham they've just got a they're the underdogs in all this so if they get fourth spot it's an absolute it's amazing but no one, the, the pressure's off them because no one's expecting them to get the fourth spot. Europa mm. League would probably be respectable for them. 
So they've just got to keep chipping away, doing what they're doing, and hopefully for them, they can end up in that fourth spot come the end of the season. And they've certainly got the quality to do it, and and they are stringing consistent performances on a, on a regular basis now. Yeah, I think their their underdog kind of status could could end up helping them in the end, couldn't it? And you see all these big clubs fighting over each other, but West Ham do seem to be the almost the more con- the most consistent team out of. I think I would say over the course of the season, out of Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham and United, West Ham have probably been the most consistent team this season. And it's just that they make it, they're just so hard to beat. Like they're a difficult team. Do you know you're in for a difficult game? And I think they definitely will be in the running come the end of the season. Obviously, I think they have had issues up front. I know, I think a lot of West Ham fans would have liked to seen a, a striker come in in January. Uh, I know Michel Antonio, um, he come, he's in spurts, isn't he? He's a hot and cold player. And on his day, he's unplayable. But whether he's got that consistent output, is kind of yet to be seen. And he hasn't really achieved that. I think Jared Bowen's been a revelation, hasn't he? Um, he was actually a player when he used to play at Hull. He was a player that I really wanted Leicester to go in for. And I've, I've been really, really impressed with him. I don't, I don't know your thoughts on Jared Bowen. Do you think... Maybe this, because I, I believe that maybe he's a kind of a perfect suit for someone like Liverpool in the future. I don't yeah. know your thoughts on that. I mean, how impressive have you been with Bowen this season? Yeah, fantastic. I mean, the level he's took his game to since last season has been brilliant. And oh, you could always see there was a player in there. Just uh, he's a he's a, he's an athlete. He's the way he, he carries himself. The he clearly looks after himself. He seems like a pretty humble guy, and obviously he's got the ability on the pitch to match that. And um, yeah, like you say, Liverpool. I think you'd fit straight in there. The way the way he plays, the sort of system he can play in, high energy pressing, mm. uh, really hard working, and you could possibly see him as sort of maybe a long term solution to Mohamed Salah once he moves on. Yeah, just interject. Do you think that Bowen's form and possibly that he was showing this form pre season made Moyes' decision easier with the Lingard situation? Do you think that might have been within the thinking? You kind of let Bowen have the have the reins. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think with the Lingard one, it was maybe sort of more down to the player himself. I think he had the chance to go to West Ham, and I think he should have gone to West Ham. I think it was there he could have carried on that amazing form he he took from the second half of last season into this season and had a new start. So I don't think Moyes. I don't think it was really West Ham's choice. Really, I think Lingard basically said to me he wants to try it again at United, but. I think it would have definitely softened the blow for, for West Ham when Lingard maybe did turn them down for a second spell. That mm. that Bowen's sort of come into his own and sort of you've you've forgotten about Lingard really, haven't you now? Right, we'll move on now to Burnley versus Manchester United. One one. United taking the lead, starting the game off well and deteriorating in the second half. Is this becoming a theme, Henry Westmacott? Strangely it is, but it was always the the complete opposite last season, if you remember. They'll start start game slowly, go a goal down, and everyone would call them second-half FC when they'd come in and come from behind every game and score three yeah. or four goals. It's going the opposite way now, but the only difference is we can't put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. So that's the issue. Um, yeah, I think it was... I think Burn, Burnley game was a really disappointing one from a fan perspective because I'm not sure on the... On the disallowed goals for a start, I didn't think there was too much wrong with them. 
Well, so what's your argument with the first one? With the obviously for those that didn't see the game, the ball comes in, Varane wins the header, scores, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with what Varane did. But Maguire's offside, and then blocks someone off. I've, what's your argument? My argument is that they had no no impact on the goal whatsoever. If you actually watch, Rodriguez is running away from the opposite direction to to Rodriguez anyway. So does that not make what Maguire did even the more stupid? But if you just watched before that, Maguire was actually pushed from a Burnley player into the offside position, then came back onside and then gave him the nudge. But like you say, it's it's got to this point with VAR where that fair you can be offside and interfere with play, but they're they they look that it feels like they're looking for every single little reason. They 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 just look extra hard nowadays to give any sort of possible little reason to 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 take a goal away from a team, and it's not just doesn't go for just United. It goes for every team. I've seen it happen so many times. Mm. So that's my thoughts on the first goal. I thought it was a perfectly good goal. Don't get me wrong, like I I completely understand, and if it was us, I'd be annoyed. And yeah. I was just kind of playing devil's advocate, and I do, but I do see why Maguire was penalised. Like there was an obvious reason. Whether you think it was a a, a good enough reason is a, is another question. Uh, sorry, where were you going to go? And the second goal, I thought that was ridiculous as well. I mean, a slight hand over the top of the head from Pogba. It's, you're just challenging for a ball. I didn't think the Burnley defender was going to get there anyway. And um, you, what remind me on the, remind me on this one? Ball comes over and uh, Rashford was at the back post and Pogba's gone up for the header and sort of his arms sort of gone round the shoulder of the Burnley player and want the other hands on the top of his head. Yeah, and they've and they've given that as a foul. But uh, I think I mean if you watch Burnley, Burnley are are the worst at all that sort of stuff. Mm. Rough and tumble, and I don't mind that. I think I think that's a part of the game that should always stay with us is is the physical side of it, and it's just getting to the point where you can't do anything. You can't in in the build up to a goal. It's nine times out of ten now something's going to be picked up on or penalised because you can't touch anyone, and and that goal resulted by poor Burnley defending. And here we go, we're going to half time one 0 and. I'm not excusing the second half for United. I think it was a poor performance in the second half. We should have killed them off. But we weren't helped at all by, by the people in the VAR booth. The, do you not think the argument, though, now, when you, when you and I completely understand where you're coming from, but do you not think that argument is basically just kind of ridiculing VAR as a whole and saying that we just shouldn't have VAR? Because this was, football was like that before. Like football was yeah. like that. Things got missed and we, we played the game and there were decisions that were subjective and they came down to what the referee thought at the time and there was controversy around that. But the same people that were that were like arguing and getting uh, getting irate about those decisions are the same people that are getting irate about VAR now. And you just can't win with these people. I, I, I just don't think... We're trying to make football this objective thing where every decision, we know there's an answer and we look at a rule book and we know that, right, that was the right decision. But we've seen that it doesn't work like that. We're never going to kind of rid football of these subjective decisions. And for me personally, maybe VAR should be, maybe there's a middle ground. Maybe VAR should be enforced kind of as and when a team challenges or want to, to, to use VAR, like in other sports, NFL, you get free 
Actually, no, I don't know how they do it in NFL, actually, but I know in a lot of sports, rugby, etc., cricket, tennis, where you get a certain amount of challenges where you can go to the video assistant referee. I wonder maybe if that's where we need to go with it, because I do agree, this kind of overlooking into every aspect. And it did seem, and I don't think it was the case, but if I was a United fan, it did seem like they were looking for anything they could to, to get rid of that goal. Yeah, and it, it just seemed as if they were like you said, looking for any reason and just to keep a keep a, a tie on their hands and you know what what might and my thoughts on Mike Dean. I feel <laughs> like obviously VAR will always have the final say in the end, but I feel like Mike Dean is always looking for a way to make himself the centre of the of the attention on the on the on the pitch. That's just my thoughts on him. I've I've never liked the bloke. I think I've pro- no. I don't. I don't mind. You can you can quote me on it. Anything. I don't like him at all. I think he's. I think he's really. See, I'm. I'm in the camp though. Where what? So you'd like your referee to be kind of this, just guy that just bends over and and just no, I, lets anything go and no, just does I, the right thing. I like a bit of personality in my referees, mate. I like a referee who who lets the play play go on when needed, but obviously stamps his foot down when things are wrong and things need to be picked up on, but. Mike Dean is always a every game you watch. There's always a it's always the Mike Dean show. There's always a red card in there. There's always a there's always a silly moment or or a little video you pick up on or or just a really poor decision he gives up. And I just I'd rather not speak. I about just think these thi- little things, bro, are like they're just what football's about, in my opinion. Like I think it's what the game's about. These little quirks and football is not objective. It will never be objective. We will never. It doesn't matter how much we improve VAR or how much we evolve it is we're always going to be arguing about these things so for me we should have just just said let's never talk about refereeing decisions and we're going to move on because I hate it I hate people that talk about refereeing decisions more than the football I want to talk about although I would like to make just a final point we're going back yeah on VAR I don't my personal view is I don't I don't particularly like it but I don't think VAR is the is the issue here? I think it's the people running it, the people behind it. They've they've not got a, a real grasp of of the of the on of the on game yet. I think people in the VAR booth, if they're going to have anyone, they should get ex ex pros in there. People who have played the game at the highest level, people who understand the game. And I know it's different because you'd probably be getting footballers in that played in the nineties and the two thousands, where football was a lot different. Do you not think you get bias around positions as well? Like there'd be a, something a centre back would look at and go, "That's not a foul." And then there's something a striker would look at and go, "It's a clear foul." Possibly, but then who who says that these people in Stockley Park are, are perfectly qualified to to make judgments on these decisions over people who have played the game? Right, right. Well, you know, you've made your your stance very clear, mate. Let us know what you think of of Westy's thoughts and my thoughts, and what your thoughts on VAR in general. You can get in contact with us at Divided Opinion. What, how can we make VAR better? And I mean, I'm acting like we've got the power. We're the ones that are <laughs> going to make it better. Let, but let's talk about Veghorst. I was really impressed with him. He looks like a really good piece of business. He was doing things that Chris Wood could never do. Yeah. What did, what did they get for Chris Wood? 25, 25 million. 25, yeah. 12 million, wasn't he, Veghorst? Yeah. Really, really impressive. Of course, all kinds of problems for Harry Maguire. He's got a good touch, hasn't he, for a big lad? Yeah. I, I, the first half, I didn't see anything of him. And I thought, oh, he just looks like another big lump up front that's going to be easy to deal with. And then 
the second half, he just absolutely came to life and was dropping into holes, into pockets. Some, like you say, something you never really see Chris Wood doing. No, he was yeah, he was doing all sorts. He was sort of he was playing as almost like a like a Harry Kane type of player, dropping yeah. into the number ten position, wrapping balls out to the wing, playing through balls, sliding them in. Then that 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 shot he had from on the half volley on the outside of the box. I mean, De Gea did well to get down to it, but really good save. But honestly, yeah, I. I I've I've watched a little bit of him in the Bundesliga, but not 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 massive amounts, and I never really foresaw that he would he would come to the Premier League. And well, he's made an impact straight away, really, hasn't he? Mm, he has, he has definitely. And I just hope with Burnley, it must have been so frustrating. You've come off, you're one-one. You've come off against Man United, and you've you've done a gave a good account for yourself. And you come off, you're still bottom of the table. It must be heartbreaking. But I suppose. In those kind of results, when you're in that relegation scrap, you don't look at the table. You just you focus on each game, don't you? And you get the results. I mean, as we're getting closer and closer to the end of the season, and it looks more and more likely that Burnley will be one of the teams that go down. I I really don't want to see them go down. I'm not ready to do, to to say goodbye to Burnley. <laughs> I, they like that. I don't know. Do you know? Like I've spent my whole life thinking. Oh, I don't like Burnley or it was the game that I'd never used to look forward to on the calendar but now when they're going I don't want them to go they're, do you they're know what only, I mean yeah they're one of the only sort of traditional football teams still around isn't there that yeah that play that it's, old style football and just make it difficult for everyone they're, they're the last Stoke City of the Premier League yeah and we need them they're just real they're a real football club we'll talk about obviously the man that Veghorst caused problems for Harry Maguire. I know he's come under a lot of criticism and I'm just interested to see how you're going to try and back him up today. (laughs) What uh, you got? I'm 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 not going to back him up. I I do think I've I've you you talk as if I've sort of blindly defended him all season when I when, you have um, blindly defended him at some points, mate. You have. It, I've blindly defended him when he when he deserves to be defended, and over the past two seasons or so before this year, he was getting a lot of unwanted stick that that just was just unnecessary, and he was performing well. And you go back to the Euros, how brilliant was in the Euros, and this season, yes, granted. He's had a pretty terrible season, <laughs> but he's not alone in that. There's been a lot of poor no. performers in this United team, and yeah, I mean, should have done far better for the goal on Tuesday night. Uh, got turned too easily. His recovery speed wasn't quick enough, and I, I think it's strange, isn't it? You mean you look at Maguire, and you, you'd have thought at the start of the season that he would have took his game to the next level playing alongside Varane. But he seems to play better mm. with Lindelof next to him, and Varane. But Varane, no, um, Maguire seems to play better with Lindelof. And to be fair, well, they both seem to play better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lindelof might be the might be the key key missing part here. But mm. uh, you just yeah, you, you look at games recently where you look on one side and Varane just seems to be sort of cruising through the game at his usual speed. He's really got up to grips with the game now, and he's doing really well. And then I don't know with Maguire. I don't know whether it's a confidence issue this season. It possibly is. I feel like Maguire is definitely. I don't know him personally, but he's definitely a player that sort of plays off confidence. But I just feel like he looks like he's playing with like the weight of the world on his shoulders at the moment. The expectation, mm. and it maybe you could put a lot of it down to sort of 
the people that have come into the dressing room this season, sort of maybe the the influence of Ronaldo and stuff, it's maybe just made him maybe made him double think his his position as United captain and the actual responsibilities that he does have on the pitch and they've maybe gone into him and given him a bit of a rain check, these senior figures, the other lads. And but the but the performances they are alarming. But just one thing I would say to sort of back him up a little bit is you can put all your efforts into having a go at Harry Maguire every week. You can put your, all your efforts into having a go at people like Fred and McTominay every week. But the the truth is we've got a front line, an attacking line worth a couple of hundred million pounds. People like Ronaldo, Cavani, Sancho, Rashford. And we, we don't put the ball in the back of the net. And they miss chances after they miss chance after chance after chance. You saw it against Middlesbrough. You saw it against Burnley. You can have a go at all the, the, the defenders all you like. But in my opinion, missing multiple chances in a row as a footballer, as a striker, is just as bad as making a defensive mistake. So we're saying then Ronaldo's at fault. No, why did you? I just, <laughs> I just named about six players there, and you I'm picked joking, up on I'm Ronaldo. Joking. All of them. All of them. Yeah. Ronaldo's been brilliant for large parts of the season. He saved us when he needs to be, but he's part of the he's part of the issue at the moment. He's part of all that front line. They can't put the ball in the back in there. I don't know what's going on. Right, and like, it is. Yeah, this, I get it. I get it. Just relax, mate. It's it's all going to be all right. I just think with Maguire, I agree with what you were saying before. I think he just doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't believe that he should be Manchester United captain. Doesn't matter how much he tries to do it. Doesn't matter how many sports psychologists he sees. He isn't capable of telling these players what's what. He's not. And I don't blame him for that. Do you think someone like... Who's an average centre-back? Someone like Michael Keane at Everton. A player like that. that he, Maguire hasn't done anything to be able to tell Ronaldo, Cavani, these players, Varane, to tell them what's what. Because he just hasn't got a leg to stand on. And maybe that's an issue with him being captain, I don't know, I really don't know, and I, I don't want to put too much on Maguire, and I agree with what you're saying, there's more people at fault, people know my, my thoughts on Maguire, um, we'll move on to, I, I do want to get your thoughts actually, before we move on to the next game, Marcus Rashford, what is the cause of this poor form for, for Rashford, because um, obviously we were, I think the, the argument was before, and earlier in the season was that he needed time off. He'd been ran into the ground. So he had that injury, didn't he, where he went and got surgery, had about a month or two off. That doesn't seem to have kind of rectified the, the issues that he's been having. Just from a United's fan, United fan's point of view, what is going wrong with Rashford? Um, I don't know, it's, an, it's, it's a broad question. It's a hard one to answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's difficult. Uh, in all fairness to Rashford, I think obviously he scored a couple of goals just before the break. The, the winner against West Ham and, and at Brentford as well. He looked improved. I think there was actually flashes on Tuesday night, especially in the second half when he was beat when he was actually beating a player and looked a little bit of the Rashford of old. But they're still very sort of hit and miss these sort of flashes from Rashford this season. And it's like you say, it's difficult where. Is it still? Are you still able to put it down to to sort of coming back from injury and getting to fully fitness? Because he he should be fully fit now. He is fully fit. Is he still getting the swing of things, or could it simply be down to sort of 
maybe off the field issues maybe he's going through something that's a bit more personal and the sort of the problems at United and the pressure of what's happening this season at the club is maybe weighing down on him as well it does seem as if like at times when I've watched him this season or been to Old Trafford where he doesn't look himself he's sort of just moping around the pitch with his head held down and looks like yeah another player like Maguire looks like he's playing with the weight of the world on his shoulders and I don't know it's difficult to pinpoint uh, I thought getting a couple of goals would have probably seen him snap back into his best form but I really I really couldn't tell you I think it might yeah. be something a bit deeper than just a per, than on the pitch yeah yeah no I don't think we'd we'd be we'd be silly to speculate about something like that and yeah I do there, something needs to happen though doesn't it something needs to change because this is Marcus Rashford. This is the guy that you attach your hopes to. And he was meant to be one of the, the best young players, the best young talents, and the guy to lead Manchester United. And at the minute, he isn't being that player. Um, we'll move on now to probably the game of the week, uh, unless there's one I'm forgetting. Aston Villa versus Leeds. And a, a stunning first half of football. 3-2 in the first half. Obviously, Leeds took the lead through Dan James, showing the kind of clinical nature Leeds have missed this season without Patrick Bamford. And then Coutinho and Ramsey showed up and in tandem for two goals. Yeah. And obviously, Coutinho getting Villa's opener with a clinical finish and a really good finish and one that kind of he dug out of nowhere, to be honest. And then obviously, yeah, we saw Coutinho handing assists to Ramsey to put Villa 3-1 up in the first half before and then Dan James obviously getting the second for Leeds this Coutinho and Ramsey kind of tandem duo looks to be really effective doesn't it yeah yeah they they're already working up a good relationship together it seems like there's a bit of a Gerard influence in there as well uh, obviously there's definitely an element of some players just naturally click together but I think it's I think it's a stroke of genius really from Gerard when you think of not only does bringing Coutinho into to the team, and especially a team like Villa, no disrespect to them, but they're not they're not one of the big hitters where you'd normally associate Coutinho to be playing. But when you bring someone like that in, it doesn't only boost your sort of personal personal gain and as a team gain. It you 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 have to sort of realise the the effect it has on these young players. And for someone like Jacob Ramsey, who's his first full season really in a, in an Aston Villa shirt, and he's done fantastically and. For, for for now on to to on the training pitch every day learning off the likes of Coutinho and some more of the other senior players at Aston Villa but especially Coutinho someone who plays in his position is and he's he's a sort of a master in that position it must be so it must be just so amazing for someone like Jacob Ramsey to to learn his craft and work with him every day mm, and it seems the way they're working together is obviously Ramsey is more of a deeper lying midfielder isn't he that arrives late. Yeah. kind of a, a blast from the past so to speak he he kind of passes it into Coutinho in the hole Coutinho finds a bit of space as we saw for, for Villa's third I want to say um, actually no their second Villa's second where Coutinho got the turn on Luke Ayling and then looked up and it was that the speed if you if you guys watch you guys listening if you watch the there's a slow motion of or just a an angle of where you see behind Coutinho and you see the speed in which he looks up and looks back down and then plays the pass. That's the difference between the top players and the the like well the good players and the elite elite level players. 
it's that decision making, isn't it? And I think yeah. that's what Coutinho is his best asset. He doesn't second think. We see it with players like Hazard was someone like it as well, where he just makes a decision and there's no second thinking, there's no second thought. And he, yeah, Coutinho looks outstanding for Villa. I yep. hope he can keep it up. But like you said, them two together, I, I wonder if it was something that Gerard fought into too much, whether he just thought we're just getting a really good player here, which I imagine he did. But they seem to have gelled really well. I think defence seems to be an issue for Gerard, regardless of the kind of the uh, guile they showed in attack. I think he will be disappointed with the result. Well, he will definitely be disappointed with the result at home to Leeds. And do you think it was a sign of immaturity from his side where they kind of, with Leeds, you don't let them drag you out, do you? You don't play into Leeds' game. You want to play a bit more pragmatic, which is what Gerard clearly wanted to do. But they yeah. did. They got dragged out. They got tempted. They they kind of broke their line. And I think we do see it a lot with Villa's defenders. There is some immaturities there with the likes of Mings. Konsa, I really thought Konsa was a really good defender, and I think he is. But he does seem to be a bit of a, like a, kind of, he sees red sometimes. Yeah, it was, kind that of was ridiculous. sending off. That, that was mm. ridiculous. I, I mean, yeah. I know he's trying to stop a counter-attack, but just don't throw your elbow in someone's head. <laughs> yeah, it was a harsh sending off, to be fair to him. But you see there is a, there is he does kind of have a red mist that comes over him. But yeah, going back to what I was saying, do you think this is a sign of, it? it well, the game was a sign of immaturity from Gerrard's defence? Yeah, I think it's a sign of. Maybe immaturity is not the best word. Like, no, you know no, I, mean? I, I, I think I think it is the right word to be honest. Uh, I mean the 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 sort of mistakes Tyrone Mings is making. I mean he's not a young player anymore, but they mm. are all sort of the signs of the all the hallmarks of some of a of a young player and someone who's rash and raw and coming into the team. And you can sort of excuse it when it's a, when it's a young player, but yeah, I mean Tyrone Mings. I mean he had a bit of a bit of an absolute he had a mad didn't he on Tuesday yeah. night sort of There's he was sort of whichever way to put it is there no no he was he was let off by his by his teammates sort of Coutinho Ramsey and uh, up front but it, it just poses a question why Villa didn't go out and sign another defender in January yeah I mean and also they letting to and Zebe go as well that was another option they had back there and I don't know what happened between him and Gerard, whether they didn't like each other or whether they just didn't rate him, but you just—it it seems like an odd choice to just let another option go when you're not going to bring another one in. So, I, th- but I think Conser and Mings have been seen as that settled pairing for a while, though, haven't they? Now, yeah, and and I don't know if it's rightfully so. I think Conser is let down by Mings, and obviously Conser is younger and he is more inexperienced. You can kind of excuse it more from him, but he needs someone a settled and a calm head next to him. And Mings isn't that. I see yeah. why people kind of what the allure is with Mings because there are certain parts of his game where he does kind of get Villa out of some some difficult positions. Sometimes there's there's a, he he puts his neck on the line. Uh, I just he is just a bit rash, isn't he? Sometimes, and I see him. Some I've said to you before, it's when I see a defender dangle a leg. It's that kind of indecisiveness that yeah. I hate. You just don't want to see in your centre-back. He's their captain as well, isn't he? Yeah. You don't want to see it in your captain, first and foremost. And Yeah, I think there's definitely improvement to be had there. And let's not get it twisted. This kind of 
Villa plan or whatever you call it with Gerard, this revolution. It's going to take a long time or it's going to take a period of time and Gerard's definitely going to want to bring in more players in the summer and yeah, improve his options. Uh, Dan James, what are, you, what are your thoughts on him? I I've never really seen mm. that clinical side to him. No, I, I saw it at flashes when he was at United. I mean, a lot of the time he was, he always let himself down with his, he'd sort of do all the hard stuff and then he's just a bit of a hothead in front of goal really and just sort of just snatch everything but yeah I mean it's it's good to see him flourishing even though it's in the lead side but <laughs> he's uh, no I'm happy for him to be honest I mean he, he, he took a took a while to get going at least didn't he he didn't he was sort of mm. on the he was on the bench quite a lot at the start of his time and sort of being an impact sub and wasn't really going well for him but I think over the last few weeks, as the team sort of got better and improved, he's sort of gone on parallel with that. And yeah, I mean, it's good to see him. So, and he nearly he hit the bar with that great effort as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he could have yeah, had a hat-trick. Yeah. But no, yeah. he's he's always had that in his locker, I mean, Dan James. I mean, you've seen a couple of goals for United where he's cut inside and whacked one into the top corner. And mm. he's definitely got the potential. He just needs to find that consistency in front of goal and his output. And he could become a real asset in the Premier League for, for any team that had him. Linking to Mings as well, I think James, five foot seven, James beat six, six foot, foot five, five yeah. Mings in an aerial battle. For that embarrassing. I think it's it funny though if you watched it. If you watch Dan James jump up, some one of his players behind him gives him a push in the back to sort of propel him in the air. <laughs> <laughs> he's, Mings completely misses it, and James is like kind he of sandwiched he, by these two players, and he somehow mm, wins the header. His shoulders are almost like above his head. He's like almost shying away from it, isn't he? Yeah, we'll move on now, unless there was anything more you wanted to say about Villa Leeds. Um, yeah, no. I was just going to say the dangling the leg for the third goal, but I think you've already covered the time. Yeah, the dangling <laughs> leg, mate, we've, we've covered. Uh, we'll move on to Manchester City versus Brentford. Not much to say here, is there? No. 2-0 to Man City. Obviously, we've got to make reference to it. Mares penalty goal. Kevin De Bruyne finishing into an open goal. Anything more you want to say? Just routine, isn't it? Mm. Just stroll on City do, and I, I think I watched little bits. But I did. I did think, in all fairness, I think Brentford put in a pretty courageous performance. Um, yeah. I think. I think that's what you're always going to get with a Thomas Frank side. I think they're always going to try and play play the right way, and they'll always try and play their own way. And I think that was probably where the second goal came from. If you have a look at David Raya, sort of trying to play it out from the back. I mean. I'm all for teams sort of having their own personality and their way to play and trying to sort of stick to that as much as they can. But when you are a sort of team like Brentford and go into somewhere like the Etihad, but there's one thing you don't do is try and play Manchester City at their own game because they no. will always beat you. So I think that is what we've seen with, with Frank's team, isn't it? Maybe a lack of, of kind of a, a second plan, another yeah. option. Yeah, just a lack of a second plan. And you see it with their players sometimes. There's just a bit of, there's a lack of a little bit of sort of sort of maturity and a little tactical now and stuff in there but I think I think they'll be okay I, I hope they don't get pulled into a relegation scrap I mean I think they've lost their last six in a row now so it's a little I bit alarming I think they will be I think they will yeah. it's alarming it it's alarming it's alarming but it's a team I'd definitely like to say see stay in the Premier League because um, I, I like them I like the club and I think they try and play football the right way and I think they've been a breath of fresh air this season in terms of City, 
I think this is the the issue Man City have got, and the kind of something that City fans struggle to get over is the fact that no one really cares, do they? Like, no. I'm not saying City fans don't care, but no one else really. Like, there's never a you don't no. watch them and go, "Oh, City have won." Like, it's, all, yeah. it's just City have won. It's that lack of. There's no jeopardy. No. So you kind of know what's going to happen, and fair play to them. I have massive respect for what they've done in a footballing aspect, but they're never going to have that. Let's be honest: the whole league, all the other, the rest of the big six, they're pretty happy if City wins the league. Yeah, I know where you're coming from, and I think it's something that I think Pep and City have created themselves really from just being how good they are and how consistent, and they, they all they. The, the way they play football and how good they are, they they just sort of zap all sort of energy and have not not just the teams they're playing, but everyone in the league. I mean, mm. no one can really be bothered to just even bother with City anymore, can they? Because there's just no real point. And that's why everyone just sort of looks at the league table now, I feel like we're just from the second place down. Yeah. And it feel like people are more invested in the top four race or a relegation battle than they are in a title race. I mean, I don't personally think there is much of a title race. I think obviously Liverpool win their game in hand. It's only six points and they've still got to play each other again. So I would never rule out Liverpool because I think they're a brilliant team as well. But like you say, it's I think City have bought it on themselves, but it's only that's that can only be praised for a team like Man City. Yeah, no, it is. There's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? And really, if you're a City fan. Who cares what anyone else thinks? Yeah, you're going to win the league, or you're likely going to win the league, and that's all that matters. And the fact that there is that kind of lack of jeopardy and a lack of a uproar from other fans if they win it is probably, like you said, a testament to how good they've been. Um, we'll move on now to Tottenham versus Southampton. Spurs taking the lead twice through a Bednarek own goal, and then a Son goal to to put them back into the lead. Yeah. I think both of them were, from what I've seen, were undeserved. Um, uh, Southampton played really, really well. Employed their, their high press that Hassan Hootel likes to, to, to do. And I think it was fullbacks that really are a position that we're seeing is one that Hassan Hootel puts a lot of focus on. And I think it was Perro at, at left-back did really well. Carl Walker-Peters has been brilliant since he he left Spurs and joined Southampton they've obviously got Liveramento as well he was I think he's injured at the minute James Ward-Prowse assisting both goals with near identical crosses from the right yeah I want your thoughts on um what thoughts on the game first and foremost I think if we're going to be real I think the the scoreline probably should be 3-0 Southampton Mm. I think the first goal was totally against the run of play and lucky Bednarek with the with the own goal the second goal should have been should have been ruled out for a foul on um, is it Broya? I think um, yeah, Emma, yeah. Emerson in the build up coming straight through the back of him. Every reason for Hassan Hootel and Southampton to be outraged by that. But yeah, I think like you say, you talk about Southampton's the how they utilise their fullbacks, and I think they're they're both brilliant in them fullbacks. I think that who did you say the left back was that Perra. new guy? Perra. I think he's sort of really gone under the radar this season. I think he's done really well. Carl Walker-Peters certainly looks like someone Tottenham could maybe do with now. But I think as well as how good they were at fullback, I think it also highlighted the problems that Tottenham face on the on the wide areas. 
Yeah, um, and it seemed like Conte kind of had this conundrum, and I posted yeah. about it yesterday. If you guys want to check out our Instagram, it's at Divided Opinion. Uh, we post match reports, articles, both from myself and Westy. Head over there and check it out if that's something you're interested in. But yeah, I, I kind of spoke about there was this kind of conundrum that, that Conte was faced with where his wing-backs, they were either spacing behind them if they, they push forward or they they were penned back, which then allowed Southampton yeah. to, to pick them off, essentially. And yeah, they could have had... I mean, Broya had a chance before half-time. It was 1-1 at half-time, but Broya had a chance, like a guilt-edge opportunity. They hit the bar as well, that Perro hit the bar. Do you think Conte, is this his system being exposed, maybe? Is this a weakness of it? And do you think maybe he, he underestimated Southampton? I think maybe, in terms of underestimating Southampton, um, I'm not sure whether he underestimated them. I think Conte's such an experienced manager, he knows sort of he'll study his teams and he knows what he's going to get from teams and he'll know other managers and how house and who likes to play I, I don't think it's exposing his system so to speak I think it's mainly a case of him not having the players at his disposal that he wants I mean it was well documented that he wanted a new right wing back in the January transfer window didn't get one um, and yeah I think it's going to be difficult to judge Conte until he sort of has that starting 11 that he wants I think he, he does always strike me as one of them managers that's very particular about who he wants in his side and how he wants them to play if you look at Chelsea when he was there he sort of he made a point of playing Victor Moses every week when Victor Moses before that mm. was out was cast out in the shadow he wasn't he wasn't doing anything at Chelsea and he seems to have an eye for for players that sort of aren't really wanted by any other clubs and sort yeah. of brings him in and puts them all together and works well. But I think, yeah, I, I just think he's being let down at the moment by Spurs. Is just that, that some of the defending we saw on Wednesday night was it was it was amateur well, stuff. To concede two goals, identical goals within the space of two minutes to give yeah. away a lead and then lose the game is criminal. And it is criminal. I can only look at that as Hassan Hootel planning something in, in advance, obviously. But for me, it does look like Conte, I'm not going to say underestimated Southampton, but possibly underestimated Southampton because they they got exposed Spurs and it was a tactical masterclass from Hassan Hootel. Like it yeah. was, absolutely. And with, a, with less resources and Conte can talk as much as he wants about he wanted this, he wanted that. Emerson Royale was signed from Barcelona for what, four, 30 million or something? Yeah, he's playing against a Spurs reject in Carl Walker Peters, who dominated them. Perro, I don't know where they got Perro from, but I can't imagine he was a lot of money. I think Southampton Hassan Hootel continues to push what he can do with this Southampton team. I've always yeah. loved him as a manager. He he seems to just carry himself well, and he's. I, I'm I'm interested to see what you think, but he he basically said the other day that he he might retire in 2024. That's when his contract expires with Southampton. I mean, his reaction after the game would probably tell you otherwise. Retire? He was, yeah. He's, well, he's 54 now. I was looking. It would be probably premature, but he seems like the kind of guy that isn't too bothered about the the bright lights of football. He's there to do a job, and he, he clearly loves Southampton as a club. 
absolutely loves them. And I think he would love to, if he was just be given a few more resources there, see what he could achieve. And I'd be really interested to see what he can do. I'm not sure if he will retire, but that's what he said in a, in a press conference. But James Ward-Prowse, obviously, assisting both goals. He's huge for Southampton, the talisman in that squad. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because I know there has been some links, I think, maybe to Spurs at, at, at some points. But he, he doesn't seem to be linked to the to the big clubs as much as some players we see. Why do you think that is? And do you think Ward-Prowse will move to a big six club one day? I think, yeah. Oh, I'm not sure, you know, because, I mean, he's come through, come through at Southampton. And he, like you say, with Hassan Hooty, he just, he just seems so content at playing for Southampton. I mean, and... You know, you've got to admire and sort of just just revel at sort of players like that. That are obviously it's great. You should, as a footballer, you'd think everyone should want to have this, these big ambitions of playing on the biggest stage and winning all these trophies. But for some people, like you say, one, it's mainly about it's about a job. It's about providing for for families, and it's also about just being happy in your environment and where you're playing. And that's where I feel James Ward Prowse. That's why he gets the best football out of himself is because he's playing in his sort of hometown. He's, he's with his family are there, and he just seems so settled. And it would not surprise me if he never left Southampton. Honestly, mm-hmm. I could see him playing his whole career there because, yeah, there's never really been any concrete links, have there? I mean, no. and he's never he's never been. You'd expect a player like him for his quality. He's no disrespect to Southampton, but he's better than Southampton. And he's still never come out, has he, and sort of flirted with the idea of leaving Southampton. He's always come out and said, no, I'm happy staying here. Like, that's it. Mm. And you so, do get the feeling as well that, for starters, if they didn't want to sell him, you'd get the feeling that he wouldn't put, kick up a fuss and want to leave. You get the feeling that, I mean, I don't know what his ambitions are in the game, but you get the feeling that if Southampton were to, to back their manager and kind of show some intent, that he would be happy to stay there. I just wonder as well that whether it will come down to Hasenhutl. If Hasenhutl leaves, does War Prowse leave? I don't know. I'm, I'm oh. purely speculating. And I'm not saying... I, I, I agree. I think there is a very good chance that he will stay at War Prowse for his career. But like, it is just... <laughs> what? I think he'll stay, stay at him. Ward Prowse. <laughs> Get that one on the it's blue. early. It's not Get even that, that early. <laughs> Get that on the blue CD. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it in, mate. I'll leave it in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I'm not saying he won't stay at Southampton. I just it just it, obviously it comes to a point, doesn't it, where Hassan Hootley is obviously achieving well above the what he's been offered at, at Southampton, and you wonder whether another manager comes in and Southampton could all of a sudden be looking pretty precarious and yeah. could could go down. I'm not saying that, but they're obviously not going to go down this season touch wood but War Prowse I think he's he's definitely capable of going to a big six club certainly I think I don't know who the, the kind of a good suitor would be for Arsenal him. I think mm, it's actually a really good shout go alongside yeah. Thomas Partey yeah and get someone in up front who who's a bit of a mix of a target man and you can get him behind and just get him sort of whipping but I mean you know what I, I, you'd take him at any I think I, you'd take him at United you'd take him anywhere I think he's He's just such an asset to have. I think any team, any I think any team in Europe wouldn't turn him down for having him in the squad because he is just he offers something that nobody else in the world can, arguably, and that is mm. the consistent ten out of ten delivery with every ball he kicks. And that just from dead ball situations as well. 
just such yeah. a danger, isn't he? I'd like to see him at, at Arsenal. And I know there's been links through with Tielemans to United, but and obviously I don't want Tielemans to go. But if I was being honest, I think Ward Prowse would be a better option for you. I genuinely do. Right, we'll move on now to Norwich versus Crystal Palace. Norwich taking the lead before conceding to Zaha, who later missed a penalty. I think a few minutes later missed a penalty. But yeah, we'll, we'll keep it short on this game. No offence to, to either side. <laughs> but I want to focus on Norwich, really. Yeah. How impressed have you been with Dean Smith since, well, his impact since joining? I've, yeah. I've seen a real upturn from, from Norwich. Yeah, I think they've they've given themselves a, a chance of staying up. I think it's a slim chance because I think a lot of the damage was done earlier on in the season and obviously, like you said, there's teams like Newcastle and people around them slowly improving. Mm. But I think with the way the things are going for teams like Everton, we mentioned Brentford maybe getting pulled in, you know, and that he's certainly given them a fighting chance of staying up. And yeah, they, they look a lot more sort of solid defensively, something that was a massive issue when Daniel Farker was the amount of goals they were conceding. I think I mean I think they lost seven at Chelsea one week, then five against Liverpool and then it was just sort of never ending. But yeah, he's got first and foremost he's shored them up defensively. And he's actually got them playing quite fluid and in, in attack and I think he's done well at sort of one thing he did well at Villa was like you you you're you're a big big fan of Matt Target, I think we all know. Yeah, I am. I am. And uh, <laughs> and he did Loud well. And at, proud. <laughs> yeah, and he focused a lot on uh, at Villa with his fullbacks of cash and target, and it, and he's done the same with Aaron's and Williams at at Norwich. They've sort of really come into their own in the last sort of four or five weeks. I've been watching a couple of Norwich games, and the way they play, you just sort of them up and down, overlapping and interchanging with the forwards, and yeah, it, it, they just look a, a a lot more of a rounded side. So. Yeah, it gives them a chance. Yeah, no, it makes you think, doesn't it? Though, like, how ridiculous were they to stick with with um, Farke for so long? And it, yeah. it it really does. It's an example of I know once a manager gets a, a club promoted, there is that loyalty loyalty, isn't there, and that tendency to stick with the manager because they got them promoted, and if they go down, it bring them straight back up. But this is an example of imagine if they'd brought in a Dean Smith or someone like Dean Smith earlier. Maybe Daniel Farke just wasn't capable of taking them to that next step in the Premier League, keeping them in the Premier League. Yeah. And I think, thank God, they for for Norwich fans, I mean, they must be so just delighted that they made that decision. And yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what they can do and if they can sustain a, a challenge to stay in the league. Lastly, though, just how big of an achievement would it be if he were to keep them up? Yeah, it'd be really huge, big. wouldn't it? Huge. Yeah, I think... I mean, because you go back to sort of two or three months into the season where they were getting beaten every week and heavily. Uh, I remember people on TalkSport, people like Jamie O'Hara saying sort of they're an embarrassment to the Premier League. They should, when they go down, they should have a rule where Norwich are never allowed to come back up. (laughs) Sort of pretty harsh things. And at the time, to be fair, I think he was echoing a lot of people's thoughts and I think people were just thinking, what is the point in Norwich coming up all the time? If they're just going to play like this and that's their model and fair play but it doesn't look great as an advert for the Premier League it didn't look great but I think Dean Smith's obviously gone in there and change of mindset change of culture at the club and obviously he's obviously told these players that you, you have got quality you've I mean you've got ability and you've got enough ability to stay in the league let's all pull in the same direction and we can try and do something pretty amazing here and 
mm. he's he's well well on his way to sort of achieving something really special. Yeah, and I'm sure he probably has seen a lot of bad habits that have yeah. kind of come to the fore under Daniel Farke, whether that be in a playing aspect, whether that be mentally. And yeah. like you said, I think it was something that was just hanging over Norwich, wasn't it? And it was there, their kind of standing as a Premier League club was constantly just being brought into question. And it was, they, I don't think they ever felt like a Premier League club almost. Like They felt like a pretender maybe. But now they're definitely not a pretender and they're definitely in with a shout of staying up and... I mean, part of you would like to see him stay up over in Newcastle, for example, because imagine what a story that would be. The amount Newcastle have gone to spend and then Norwich man- managed to stay up. Yeah. Next game on the agenda, and we'll, we'll keep it short because we've, we've talk- talked in depth here on this podcast. Uh, Wolves versus Arsenal, 1-0 to Arsenal on the road. Gabriel goal, which is a bit of a scrappy one. Um, I think the main talking point, the Martinelli standing off. What did you think of that? Think it was fair? Yeah, fair call. I think both mm. yellow card offences. Obviously, it's it's a it's a strange thing to see. It's not you don't re- you rarely see it where a player gets sent off in, for the same sort of offence in between in between each mm. other. But I think the referee got it right. I think the first one was petulant, hand in the face, clear yellow card, and then I think the second one running back on the counter attack is another yellow card. So I think that he was left with no no sort of other option. Think discipline's becoming a problem for Arteta, and is that maybe a byproduct of of his passion as a manager? Um, possibly, but I think that's always been a sort of a a downfall of Arsenal. Is they've always seemed to have had a two or three players in the team that constantly sort of let themselves down by and throw their throw their teammates under the bus. I mean, we've mm. seen it countless times with Xhaka. I think you've seen uh, Gabriel get sent off a couple of times this season. And yeah, I mean, it's just something they've got to try and nip in the bud really because it, it I mean they got away with it last night and they defended well after the red card but it doesn't always work like that no I think we'll move on now just to the last game because we want to talk about it a little bit of depth Liverpool Leicester obviously 2-0 to Liverpool from a Leicester's Leicester fans perspective I was I was pretty happy with it to be honest I'm not, well, I'm not happy I'm, I was pretty content with it because the players showed fight, I thought. Um, I thought, because that's a lot of what has been brought into question recently and what the fans have been kind of the main brunt of their, the aggression has been towards the players' um, commitment to the cause and whether they are still behind Brendan Rodgers. I think the ones that played yesterday showed that they are behind Rodgers. Uh, I think he maybe showed that there are, you, you could see the players that, Rogers hasn't been happy with and the players that he keeps discussing in post-match interviews about lack of a hunger, lack of leaders. I think those players that get dropped, the Tielemans, the Barnes, the, the Siunchus, they're clearly the players that Rogers feels has been letting his team down. Whether he's right in that, I don't know. But I was impressed with the, the players that played yesterday and in terms, we played against Liverpool, one of the the most ruthless attacks in the league in world football. We had Amati and Ndidi at centre back. Now Amati is a versatile player, so I don't know where I actually don't know his best position. It probably is centre back, but Ndidi, he's just defensive midfielder playing at centre back. We had no height on the pitch. One of the goals came from a corner, inevitably. So, I think in a, in attack we kind of let ourselves down a bit decision making in the final third and I think when you bring a player like Mark Albright and you're always going to take away a bit from your, your attacking intent and your, your potency up front but overall 
the I think obviously the most of the talking points are probably with Liverpool really, and I think they they did play well, and they are showing that they can grind results out, and they're they're not going to give up without a fight in this title race. Do you think I'm right in saying that about the players, Do you, the Leicester players? Did you think there was maybe a, a more of a show of fight from them yesterday? Yeah, I I, I think I think it was right what Rogers did. I think dropping a few players that certainly didn't show themselves in the best light in the FA Cup game at the weekend. Um, they were they were poor, and like you say, he questioned some of the people's attitudes and the the fight for the badge. And I don't think it was. I think from a few players it was it was pretty sort of insulting on Sunday, especially to the fans and the sport, especially yeah. the game meant so much. So I think the only way you could have sort of countered countered that is by dropping them players and bringing some other players in. And the players that he brought in, sort of you mentioned Albrighton, um, Daka came in as well. Did Daka start on Sunday as well? No, Ian actually no. started. So I was yeah. pretty disappointed with Daka yesterday, to be honest. Yeah, I think maybe the 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 scale of the game kind of got to him. I yeah, don't know if he's played a, an atmosphere quite like Anfield away, leading yeah. the line as well. I think yeah, that's fa- it's a fair point. But I think with Daka, he seems like a player that you can always, no matter if he plays well or or not, you can always rely on him to put in hundred percent and oh, run yeah. around and no, do absolutely. his job. So yeah, I think it was a it was definitely it was. Something like starting in Didi and Amati, people two players that aren't natural centre backs, and Didi certainly not. It definitely gives the people sat on the bench food for thought, especially the defenders when they're sat there, big game at Liverpool away, and Rogers has basically just turned around to them and said, "I'm going to put someone who isn't a defender in your position. See how you like that." And it won't sit well yeah. with some of them players, and it fully it, it might well ruffle a few feathers in that Leicester dressing room, and it might lose. It might lose him a few of the players in terms of a personal and sort of manager-player affection, but I think you've got to do that sometimes. When play, some players, when they get too comfortable, they can start taking liberties and thinking they can take ten percent off and don't have to press here and there. They can sort of waltz around the game, and I think Rogers is never going to be a manager that stands for that. Everything with Leicester at the minute seems to be pointing to a, a focus on short-term loss for a long-term gain. Yeah. And I think last night was an an example of that, and I agree with what you're saying. It's like these players that he did take out of the out of the firing line, or he he dropped. I think it's kind of a case of like, right, it's how you react to this. So if yeah. you're a Sunchu, for example, there's two ways you can go. He'll either step up, brilliant, we're getting back into the team. He does well for Leicester again, brilliant, or he responds negatively, and then you realise that this is a player that that needs to go and yeah. isn't going to be part of this Leicester squad in the future. I think it's a shame with Siunchu because the guy seems to have taken his eye off the ball and I don't want to pinpoint just on him, but it would be a shame to see him go. Uh, he's a player, obviously, that relies on the players around him, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because I've seen him at the level. like He can play at the level when he's got a cool head like Evans next to him. But, yeah, a lot of these players, it's... it's kind of the way they react now and coming into these latter stages of the season well I won't say we're in the last stages yet but the Tielemans is an interesting one because obviously he's still a contract rebel and I know he's being respectful about it but that was up until and it was all very amicable but that was before his kind of levels dropped his levels seem to have dropped a bit recently and it's never going to sit well it, it almost makes you think whether Rogers now it should be just focus on a on a Jewsbury Hall, someone like that. Give them the opportunities. 
and make it clear to Tielemans that if you're not going to commit your future, then we're going to focus on other options. But maybe that would end up costing us in terms of the money we could get for Tielemans in the transfer window. I don't know. But yeah, is there anything else you want? Well, is, what did you want? Did you want to add anything on Liverpool? I think Luis Diaz impressed me again. I thought he looked really good. He looks at home in that Liverpool team already. Him and Robertson yeah. seem to have struck up a real partnership. Salah coming back. Yeah, is there anything you want to add on Liverpool? No, I was just going to touch on what you said about Robertson and Diaz. Oh yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's it's really it's sort of commendable for Liverpool when you look at the. The, the the just in the transfer market the, the signings they make and how easy it is for them to sort of gel new players into a team mm. when you sort of compare it to a team like United and they're still trying to replace players who they replaced for from years <laughs> before and you just don't even know what they're doing mm. and you get Liverpool yeah okay we need to maybe think of a long term replacement for Mane or someone let's bring in Diaz get them player in and within a week of being there, he's got a relationship going with the Robertson, like they've been playing together for five years. And yeah, it's just so sort of just it's so so simple at Liverpool, isn't it? Everything's in mm. tandem, everyone's working together, and yeah, it just seems and Jota as well. I mean, he's just turning into a, a top player, isn't he? I mean, yeah, he's so clinical in front of goal, and I think there was a big talking point last season whether. Who, who's better? Who, who who should they play up front? Firmino is it Jota? Because Jota was more of the impact player, but I think Jota's really made that position his own now, and sort of Firmino's is a guy who plays second fiddle. There's no argument, is there? Jota's no. the better player now. And yeah. I saw a look when Firmino got replaced by Salah, and you could see the look on his face. It was almost the right, right. I've had my time. I've had a bit of fun. Now the the big dogs yeah. are back. <laughs> yeah. Go back to sitting on the bench because. You just can't argue, and if you for me, you know, I think it's it be for Liverpool. It's kind of a case of I think it'd be in their best interest to keep Firmino around. I mean, I don't know if they want to generate some funds, so maybe they will sell him. But he's such a good option to have Firmino, and in those, he, he almost it is like a, a Man City kind of option. That is, they'd have a player like Firmino who comes off the bench, and yeah, I, I really rate Firmino. But yeah, Hot has definitely cemented that role. It's been an enjoyable podcast, that, Westy. Um, I think it's been great to have the Premier League football back. I've really enjoyed being able to talk about actual football and not transfer rumours and hearsay for once. Have you yeah. enjoyed the episode? Yeah, brilliant, mate. It's great to have it back. And, yeah, same again next week. Hopefully there's some more good talking points and good games to cover. Well, we've got Champions League coming back next week. Of course we have, yeah. That's and Europa League. And yeah. Conference League, Leicester. Yeah, the Leic- Conference League. That's Leicester versus Randers. We'll probably delay the podcast next week so we can give a real detailed insight on all the Conference League games. Yeah. <laughs> we will not be talking about the Conference League. Uh, we'll probably return next week, I want to say Thursday, um, and we'll talk about all the Champions League games. We'll do a full Champions League review. Yeah. I hope you guys have enjoyed today's episode. Thank you again for joining me, Westy. Yeah, thank you, mate. Been brilliant, really enjoyable. Nice one, nice one. Yeah, well, um, if you want to see when the next episode's out, guys, follow us on your chosen podcast provider. Click the little notification bell if you want to know exactly as and when a new episode comes out. Follow us again on Divided Opinion. Not again, you can't follow us twice, but at Divided Opinion on Instagram if you want to see daily content. 
yeah i've really enjoyed that episode really enjoyed it we'll see you next week for another episode of the divided opinion podcast